Welcome to the Scott Harness Podcast. Hey, I want to welcome you all today. We've got an exciting, exciting time we're going to have together. Today, if you've ever wondered, can people change? Um, what about people that have this incredibly horrible start? Or let's, let's say people that have gone a long way down a wrong road and they just find themselves just upside down and backwards. You know, I know that there's people out there that you may have kids or you may have friends or maybe it's you yourself and you're saying, you know what, I'm stuck in this. I don't know that anything else can change. Today, I have as my guest a, a good friend and author, Jimmy McGill. Um, he's the author of From Prison to Purpose and uh, just a, a great friend of mine. And we're going to be talking about his book, which is his story. And, uh, and I think in Jimmy's story, the one thing it gives to us is this incredible hope and understanding that we can change and it's possible and God can do great things even when a big portion of your life has, has gone the wrong direction. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I think you're going to find a lot of hope in this. I do want to remind you that if you in fact want to go to heaven, you need to subscribe to this channel and you need to like it as well. No, I'm just kidding. You, you can get to heaven other ways, only one other way, but we'll talk about that another time. But, uh, um, but anyway, today we're going to be talking about that. So I want to I want to just kind of walk around the room real quick and kind of tell you who's here today. First is my, my good friend and, like I said, author Jimmy McGill. And uh, we're glad you're with us. Brady's in the room as well. And uh, he's running the, 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 the equipment and the good stuff back there. So let's, That's let, right. let's talk Jimmy a little bit. Let's give everybody just a little piece of history. Just give us, I mean, we're going to walk through some of that in your book, but tell them kind of where you come from and, and tell them a little bit about you because I think your story is always, I'm always captivated by it. So let's hear a little yeah. bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. So first, thanks for having me. Uh, second, it all started when I was a little bitty baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, I... I you know, I grew up in chaos, and so I came from a stacked deck, and mm. uh, for whatever purpose, God saw fit uh, for me to experience a number of trials and tribulations growing up, and instead of those fires destroying me, he allowed me to come out refined, uh, basically molded me into the person he wanted me to be. I'm not perfect today, but uh, it's like my bio, you know, despite you know, 23 years of IV drug use and multiple trips to incarceration, uh, despite this plethora of self-imposed disadvantages from gang membership to uh, crimes, anything in pursuit uh, to get and find a way to get high. That's that's the life that I lived. Yeah. Uh, it was a very selfish life that nothing else really mattered. The only thing that mattered was uh, whatever I was obsessing on. Uh, and in my case, most of the times that was drug use. Um, despite all that, uh, today I'm a happily married, I'm a homeowner, I'm a dad, um, I'm an, I'm an employee, I'm a supervisor, I'm a founder of a nonprofit. I could go on with the blessings that God has given me. Uh, but it all started with chaos. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And you know, that was the one thing that when, you know, when mm -hmm. I read your book and by the way, this is it is from prison to purpose. It's available on Amazon. We'll put a link in the description. These are all my little notes and stuff. So, um, but, but when I read your book, um, I've known you for a while, but mm -hmm. I didn't know the intricate details of your childhood. And I told you when we, when you first walked in, um, when I read some of the stories um, about your childhood, I mean, it brought me to tears. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, it really did. It's one of those things where um, it's so well written and, and the way that you put us in the, the story with you, it's powerful. Um, there's one instance that stood out to me and I, I just want to kind of, I'm going to read something directly from your book because 
this is one of those moments where I caught myself each sentence. I start choking up. I mean, I'm literally tears coming. I mean, they'll do it right now if I think about it too much. Yeah. But it said, um, you said, my first memory of drug, drug use was my dad doing a shot of dope in my grandfather's kitchen. He was struggling to find a good vein. And so he told me to hold his, hold his arm off. For those of you who don't know, holding the arm off means um, taking both hands and wrapping them around um, the user's upper arm, squeezing as hard as you can so that the vein will swell out for the dope injection. I realize now that a father asking uh, this of his son was very abnormal, but at the time it seemed like normal life um, to the extent um, that I didn't even tell anyone about it. What is, I mean, I don't even know. I can't even wrap my brain around that. What, yeah. t- tell me about, cause you, you came from a family <clears throat> of drug use. You came from, you know, you, you were around and exposed to it and, and it was a part of your life early, early on. Yeah. Um, that you talk about in that book. Can, as far back as I can remember. Absolutely. You know, I remember going to school and bragging about things that were exciting to me. I remember, uh, getting a Nintendo back mm-hmm. when you, you know, you had two games, gyro my and, Super Mario Brothers. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right, right, right. And so I remember telling people, hey, I got a Nintendo. It was something that was not normal. Yeah. You know, it was uh, something that everybody didn't have. Uh, you don't go to school and tell people you had breakfast. Yeah. Everybody has breakfast. That's part of everyday life. I thought everybody helped their, their parents get high. Yeah. You know, my, um, that was normal for me. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, uh, an atmosphere that most kids couldn't survive in. I thrived in and, and it was, it was my reality. Yeah. And, sure. and, and not only, not only do you, do you deal with the drug use, but it's a, it's an environment of violence to you talk about in there. You know, yeah. your, your dad was really violent. Um, uh, there was abuse. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of different, I mean, obviously holding your dad's arm off is, is abuse for sure, but there was also abuse and, and there was violence in that. Talk, talk a little bit about, you know, how that type of violence began to mold you and affect you and decisions and stuff that you would make. Yeah, absolutely. I was captivated by it, honestly. Uh, my dad drugged me everywhere he went, right? Like he went to the bars. I didn't get left with a babysitter. Sometimes I got left with a prostitute or somebody of that nature. Uh, and so I would be there till he would come back. But, uh, he was a very violent man. You know, he didn't fear any consequences. Jail was basically the only way that you could deal with him. Um, he just wasn't afraid to kill. He wasn't afraid to hurt. He, he he wasn't afraid of anything except not being able to get high. Yeah. And so the more violence uh, in, in that realm, it's, it's almost like you've got two worlds, okay? You've got the normal productive society where where the average person lives and thrives. They get up. They're productive. They're acceptable. They go to work. They raise their family, they go to church, they teach their kids uh, how to make their bed, how to do your hygiene. That's not the world I lived in. Right, right. Right. The world I lived in is you're a man if you can defend yourself. You're a man if you don't let anyone take anything from you. And if you owe me $10, you better pay me 11 Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the more violence that is shown, the 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 more uh, level of manhood is is embraced, right? Like that's there's this pecking order that takes place. You and only the strong survive, and uh, the weak get preyed upon because that's their nature, right? Like you don't uh, 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 a lion doesn't have, ask a sheep for permission. Sure, type of that's mindset. Right. And so, <clears throat> and that was it. And the times that I connected with my father would be the the times that I 
displayed these random acts of violence. He would think it was cute, and he, you know, I could I could tell a sense of pride. Sure, you know, so if I hauled off and I socked the neighbor's kid, uh, there was there was pride. And, and early on, I began imitating the violence that I saw in him, uh, that I saw in my uncles, and and everybody was scared of him. I remember, uh, you know, my uncle Roy stabbed a guy with a butcher knife through his jaw at the bar that me and my cousins were at. We were just running around like little chickens with their heads cut off, kids playing in a beer joint. And how old were y'all? I was young, young. They were 10 or 11 wow. at that time. Wow. Uh, and my Uncle Roy pulled the, the butcher knife out of, his, his name was Danny Joe Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls the, the butcher knife out of Danny Joe's jaw and there's blood gushing and he takes a swig of his beer, and so alcohol and blood is just pouring out of both sides of his jaw. What? Yes. Oh. And so, the, and and that's how it was. That was everyday stuff. You that's know? the norm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, which sounds like to me that it sounds a lot like the prison culture because that's how it is in prison. You know, it's it's yeah. all about dominance and violence and taking advantage of of you know yeah. whomever. So how much of your, your childhood, how much of that time was your dad in prison during that time? So he was gone off and on the majority of my childhood. He was always on the run. And, and then there was times I would go live with my foster mom, Linda, uh, for years at a time uh, until she sent me back. I think I was close to 14 because uh, I was just, un, un, you know, you couldn't handle me. She couldn't handle me. And so my father got locked up at that point too he got a pretty big drug charge and he was gone for some years and so by the time he comes home i'm on my way to adult prison right and so from from that second on he was kind of in my life he stopped going to prison when i started oh and uh i don't know he started settling down the last six years of his life uh kind of shaped up and he was always there for me he would come visit me every weekend in prison he was still getting high he was still doing what he did he would still have random i mean he was 60 years old slapping folks like wow. he, a gorilla like an albino gorilla he was <laughs> he was the real deal like uh and they still tell stories about him oh yeah for yeah. sure so, so we're gonna train you you're you're as a kid this is what you're growing up in yeah you know your mom leaves yeah so how old are you when that happens? Uh, the first time she really left, I was about, I don't know, four or five years old. We were living in Gravel Ridge on Gibson. Yeah. And uh, I, I won't forget, I was laying in the floor playing Hungry Hippos. You remember that game? I do, yeah. Hungry Hippos? Absolutely, I do. And so I'm playing by myself um, in my underwear, laying in the center of my living room floor. Uh, and my mom... It's got tears in her eyes. She comes up, hugs me, and kisses me on my forehead. And I remember saying, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to the store. And I said, I want to go. And I literally threw a fit because I wanted to go with my mom. To the store. And she was bawling, tears streaming, wouldn't let me go. And that set me off, and she never came back. Yeah. Uh, In your your book, one of the things that, stood out to me is really powerful is how tender you handled that story though. And one of the things you said was you said, you know, my mom was basically held hostage and, and her, she realized her only way of getting away 
checklist she was going to have to go by herself because there's no way she could get away. You're talking about my birth mom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's my birth mom, Cindy. Right. Um, So yeah, there's uh, Cindy's pregnant with me. She jumps out of a car, uh, gets away from my dad, has birth. My dad gets me and gives me to Linda. Right. And Linda raises me. Linda adopts me at six months old. And, uh, you know, if, if my birth mother doesn't leave, she's, she's dead. Like there, there are a lot of stories that aren't in the book. Sure. You know, one of them being my dad thought he killed her and put her in a bathtub and dumped ice on her. And 30 minutes later she comes to and she's in shock. Can't, can't quit shaking. You know, uh, if she didn't leave, she would have been dead. And if she would have left with me, she could have made it. Yeah. So, so we're talking about when Linda, Linda left. Now, you yeah. you said you said that when you were talking about Linda, you said one of the things about her was that she was she really didn't fit into the culture. She wasn't. She was different. She did. She a wasn't a drug woman. She wasn't a drug abuser. She wasn't an addict. She wasn't into that alcohol. And, nothing. And you said basically your dad kidnapped her. He did. So she, how, how'd that happen? She was a car hop, and uh, brought him his food to his car, and he picked her up, and set her on the hood. And wouldn't let her down uh, from off of his hood until she agreed to leave there and go out with him. Wow! And that was the and that's that's that that's the, that's how it was. Yeah. Wow. And that's how he lived his life. Like he he didn't care. Like you were gonna do what he wanted you to do. Period. Sure. And so that sets the trajectory for your the next years of your life. Yeah. You know. And so Jimmy becomes a teenager. What does Jimmy look like as a teenager? Uh. A walking form of confusion. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, there was a lot of bullying going on in my life at that time. And at the same time, I'm trying to live up to this image of my dad. Yeah. And so, and I'm not him. At sure. The time. And sure. so I'm trying to fit in. I'm going to Northwood junior high, uh, skipping school, uh, trying to avoid getting picked on. Uh, and my dad ends up going to prison and I end up, you know, having to live with my Aunt Juanita and my Uncle Clarence and they're dressing me different. Sure, sure. And so now I'm getting picked on a little bit and uh, it was just bad. And so I skipped school one day um, with a guy named James and, uh, you know, we grew up together here and he ends up uh, being just a... a t- <laughs> terrible influence and i welcomed it like whatever he suggested i went along with it like Good we were, yeah we were stealing everything that wasn't tied down we were breaking into stuff uh and and then you know i went on and i broke into the wrong house and so here i am incarcerated at 14 and that's when everything changed and, and that's the first stint you did in, yeah. in jail at that point yeah for sure now later, you get arrested for a lot of different things. How many, how many times in and out of jail had do you go through in in a lifetime? So we literally, I, I know this answer because we are filing for my pardon this week. Yeah, uh, yeah. If it, we're going to pray it too, we're going to pray this sucker in. You know, that's right. Uh, I was arrested twenty six different times. Wow. Yeah. And and one and just to jump ahead, but we'll go back. But just to jump ahead, and really one of the main people who was a part captain lang who was a part of your life back then and, and is the the person who's arresting you and the person yeah. who's 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 in pursuit of you and he's got your number yeah is yeah. this is he's this a bloodhound yeah. <laughs> yeah and he gets he and he's he's coming after you yeah. is the same instrument that god's going to use later 
to bring about a change in your life. Jeremiah 29, 11. That's right. Another plan I have for you. That's that's Lord. That's good. That's good. So, so we'll talk about him, but let me talk about this story because there's a story that, that brings you two together. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so you decide. It makes um, me look like a clown. No, it's, it's great. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read something here because I have to read it to you because I, I read it and I snorted. I laughed so stinking hard. It's hilarious. Okay. You oh. said using drugs definitely did not make me smarter. <laughs> you said, seriously, I was probably one of the stupidest criminals in Arkansas. You said once I was in pursuit of finding a way to get high, but no money in my pocket. So I burglarized the house and stole a rare set of uh, Jap animation cartoon movies, Japanese animation cartoon movies. And so, and, and I'm not going to read the rest of that. You got to read this. This, this story is, is, unbelievable it's page 43 but tell us about what happens tell us so you break into a house (laughs) yeah and you steal some some dvds just tell us the story so like any good person in addiction i am i wake up no money uh no way to get high and so i'm using drugs like normal people eat food and water Right. right like i've got i can't survive without it sure and so I set out to do what any good addict does, and I'm on the prowl looking for easy money. And so I go way out in the middle of the country. I don't just mean I was way out. I mean, I was I was out there. And so I go from house to house looking for, you know, a place that seems easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find a house. I go in the house, and there's this... Uh, DVD set of cartoon uh, Japanese cartoon animated movies. I don't mean like pornography or anything like that. Right. I mean like they're kids movies, but this is an adult collector. And so at that time, Hastings would would buy DVDs from you, and there were Hastings everywhere. There was two or three in Benton. There were two or three in Little Rock, North Little Rock. We had one up there where the Best Buy is now at McCain. You had them in Jacksonville. You had two or three of them. And so I could have went anywhere to Hastings to sell these. And so I've got like 150 of these Japanimation movies. Mm. And so I'm doing the math. Like if they just give me, you know, $2 each, I'm good. I can go get a hotel for a couple of days and I can stay high that whole time. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm headed straight to Hastings. And so I get into Hastings. I go to the Hastings in Jacksonville. It's not there anymore. And I walk in and this guy's like, yeah, we'll buy those. Sure. And so I set them up there in the cashiers. Like he's running through them. He's scanning. Everything's cool. I hand him my ID. Mm. And yeah, that was a, that was a boo-boo. And mm. I told you I wasn't a smart mm. crook. Mm. 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 <laughs> so, uh, I hand this guy my ID card. And he um, is still ringing up stuff. Well, it comes out to be too much, and they don't have enough cash in the cash register to cover the check. So he's got to call for his manager to come do a store override because they've got to write me a check because it's more than what he's got in the cash register. So now I'm really excited. I'm like, ooh, he bought for to get ah, You know, that's the mindset I've got. And uh, this guy comes over there, the manager, and he's like, oh, he just happens to glance down at the DVD. And he's like, oh, that, hey, I got that one. And he looks through it and he said, hey, man, I got that one too. And he's like, Oh, you must be a collector. And he said, wait a minute. And he's just flipping through them. And he said, where did you get these? Mm-mm. I said, they were given to me. Why? He said, no, man, I'm serious. Where did you get these? And so at this point, I get offended. I said, 
they're mine. What's up? Why are you asking? Mm-mm. And he said, hang on. I've got to go call my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of all the houses, of all the stores, God put me in this man's house and sent me to his store. <laughs> And then people want to wonder if God's got a sense of humor, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so when I realized what just happened, I strike out, take off running. He follows me out to the car. He's trying to beat on the window. I'm pulling off, but he's got my ID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm. And so, it, you know, at this time, uh, so, so this is a this is a funny, you know, when I first read the story, it's a funny story. Yeah. But the consequences are gigantic. Yeah, seven-year prison stint. <sighs> yeah. They uh, ended up, so in Arkansas, if you get, a, a burglary is a class B felony. And so if you're listening and you're watching, I don't want you to think that I didn't get held accountable because all of my dues have been paid. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sentenced to seven years. And I have to do uh, two months on each year. So I end up basically being gone for a year and a half Mm -hmm. in prison. And then I have the remainder of that on parole, which I end up violating because of my drug use. Uh, But there's this, there's this bloodhound, you know, police at the Pulaski (laughs) County criminal investigation division. Captain Kurt Lane. Captain Kirk Lane. Yeah. And he is, uh, you know, you hear all these war stories about him, and he's he's like the freaking boogeyman at this point. Like he's, <laughs> I bet. Everybody knows who he is. I hear his name all the time, but I've been able to fly under the radar for whatever reason uh, until now. And so now Kirk Lang's got my ID. <laughs> this is going to be a shut and close case, uh, and he's hunting me. And so it, he's got his detectives, and so he's, you know, supervising this whole division and I've done got on his radar. And you're probably in public enemy number one. At this point, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And so that was the introduction of him. It wasn't the last time he arrested me either. I mean, there there was some more serious arrests. There were some drug charges. There was, you know, one time I came, I came out of a store, Scott, and I don't know if it's in the book or not, uh, but I'm, I've, I've got a Cadillac. I'm driving a Cadillac, and I'm at the Easy Mart over on Markham. And I don't have any money. I've got money on me. I don't have any dope on me. But at this point, I'm doing pretty good in my addiction. Like, I've got a good plug, and I'm making a little bit of money. i got a car. Uh, I hadn't been out of prison long. and But apparently, I'd done sold some dope to a confidential informant. Uh-oh. And, you know, and, and so all the narcotics, homicide, and burglary detectives fall under Captain Kirk Lane. Uh-huh. And so he's their boss. And so he's got them coming to get me. And so I walk out of the Easy Mart. All of a sudden, the Suburban pulls up on me. These guys jump out. They got guns on me. They're, get on the ground, punk. And I'm like, whoa. They're, like, they're not talking like cops. They don't have bad, like, they're dressed like I'm dressed. They're sure, dressed sure. like everyday people. And so I think I'm getting carjacked, you know, because mm. I'm in a Cadillac. And I'm like, man, they're finna take my car. Man, these dudes put zip ties on me, throw a hood on me, and throw me in the back of a Suburban. So now I think I'm getting kidnapped, and I done did something. It's all coming to fruition. Like, it's coming to a boil. Yeah. And uh, so when I get, when they set me up, they they set me up in the back of the seat, take the hood off. I'm at the Pulaski County Sheriff's Office. They done jumped in my car and drove off in case I snitched. Nobody will know I've been arrested. Wow. Yeah. 
yeah i mean you, that's how intense it was and and kirk just bopped on down to the interview room i'm sitting in the interview room i'm tripping out uh, you know that's a pretty traumatic arrest like oh, yeah. that's not textbook arrest arrest you see on television that's not the way that happened no no that's like a kidnapping yeah that's what i said and you know i tell him all the time too i'll never forget when you had me kidnapped uh <laughs> so he walks in this interview room and he's tall he's bald-headed he's like a the older version of me and he sticks his head in and he grins and he's like told you i'd get you and he just walks off just walks off like he caught a fish <laughs> <laughs> he had kind of had yeah yeah, <laughs> and, and that's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's the stories. Did he do a picture with you and like look at him? No, no. <laughs> didn't do that. So, so you go from you go from that. You start you, you start incarceration when you're 14. Mm-hmm. Your first first stint with that. It, the book can, has a lot of stories about you being in 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 jail and yeah. and in prison and, and what that looked like. One story though stands out. I don't know why these stories stand out, yeah. but it's so hilarious. That you said that you're talking about that there's some new guys coming. When new guys come in, you take yeah. advantage of them. Now, what do you call a new guy when he comes short in? Short hairs. Yeah, short hairs. So, yeah. when it, so, so when you get to prison, you get your hair shaved. Yeah, yeah. And so you can always tell the short hairs because they're, well, this was back then. This is in 95. I don't think it's this way anymore. Sure. But then you had to get your hair shaved. So we knew you were new because you came in with a buzz cut. Mm-hmm. And so we call them short hairs. And... Uh, you, you can always look at their ADC number too, right? Like you only get one. And yeah. so it never starts over. And so mine's like a dinosaur number at this point. Right. Uh, I'm what they call an old convict. So yeah. if, if I were to go to prison today, I would be able to travel down the hall. No nope. trouble. Sure. Just because of my numbers age. And uh, so these new guys would come in and, you know, we, I worked on host squad. Uh, and so you're technically supposed to do 20 days on host or 60 days on host squad. You go out every day. You're with a sergeant. You're each sergeant has 32 inmates and he's on his horse and, uh, you work with hose and swing blades and Kaiser blades. And, and you, they, what they do is they work all that aggression out of you and they try to work you till you collapse so that when you get back in the prison at four o'clock, you're too exhausted to fight, argue, fuss, any of that. Sure. And so, uh, you know, we're walking and, and there's this dried up horse poop, <laughs> you know, and horse poop is green and hard. And so I pick some up and I'm like, you know, we take it back in the barracks and cause it looks like pot. Mm-hmm. And so we take a weed stem and we put it with the horse poop and we wrap it up in a small, now a dime sack of marijuana in prison is actually about the size of a popsicle stick cut in half. And then you break that half in half. Mm-hmm. And so we put this weed stem, which smells like pot in there with this dried up horse poop. <laughs> and we sell it to this guy, this short hair. He comes down the berries. He's got, three or four bags of coffee and some snack cakes. And so we sell him this dime sack of horse poop. And the story gets better. Oh my gosh. He, and so we're <laughs> laughing. We're, we're sitting back. We're, we're in the barracks. It's, it's me, a guy that whose nickname was cocaine. Uh, we actually grew up together, went to prison together. Uh, and another friend of mine at the time, uh, Adam Jones, who hung himself at Tucker Max later yeah. on. Um, we all got locked up at an early age, you know, them earlier than mine. I was 18. They were 16 when they got convicted. And so, (laughs) 
uh, we're laughing that we done sold this guy some horse poop and he comes back beating on the window and uh doom, 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 doom. and I'm like, oh man, he finna whoop us now. <laughs> you know, we're we're laughing, we're not worried about him. We think we're knuckleheads and we're tough and there's three of us and so uh cocaine goes up there to, you know, I guess, you know, check him or whatever. And he comes back and he's cracking up. This guy wants some more. <laughs> you know, he wants some more horse poop. So we tell him, you know, come back tomorrow and we're going to hook you up. <laughs> we got to go outside and get it. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True story. Did he ever, did he ever get it? Uh, yeah. He came back. Oh, and got, yeah. got some more. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's true, true story. Oh my gosh. There's so much more in the book. There's so many things from, from you as a, a rap musician. Yeah. Sort of in the underground hip hop yeah, scene. Sure. Bunch of folks that you were connected with back then. That, that um, are really big time now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of, you work through some of those things. Um, let's do this. Let's, let's drive ahead just a little bit further. When is it that you begin to see God's doing something? Yeah, so I'm clean. I'm out of prison, right? Like, yep. And so I've successfully reentered society up until this point. Like, I've been out of prison three months, I think, and I'm living at a camp-free house. Yep. I'm clean, but I'm living dirty. And so what I mean by that is I'm not using, but I'm still living wrong. Sure. And so... Uh, there's this common misconception that when the drugs are gone, you're in recovery. And that's not true. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't start recovering until you start addressing the behavior patterns. Oh, that's good. The core beliefs. You don't start recovery until you start growing spiritually, mentally, and physically. Mm, that's good. And so, uh, I'm in my Kim Free house. A friend of mine from the streets is my roommate. And uh, he's selling dope. And so now I'm selling dope mm -hmm. clean mm -hmm. and I'm going to meetings. I'm sharing, I'm trying to stay clean, but I'm putting this bad stuff out. You know what I mean? And, uh, I woke up one morning and my roommate was just staring at me and he's got a pistol and a pound of methamphetamines in my Kim free house. And so at this point it was like, God just, it was like curtains, literally. I don't, I don't know any way to explain it. I didn't see anything wrong with what I had been doing until that morning. And it was like God said, if you want to stay clean and live the life I have for you, you have to make a choice and you have to make it now. And so from that second on, it was over. And, and, you know, in your book, you're pretty clear that it wasn't like you were seeking God or anything like that. It wasn't, not there was that point, no. not, not, you know, it was, it was one of those things where he's seeking you yeah. and, and even the DVD thing and, yeah. and Captain Kirk Lane, you know, the, the story with that and how he was, you know, he was the guy that you needed to interrupt this cycle that you're in, you know, God's active in all those kind of things. I mean, you can see it in retrospect at the time. I mean, yeah. you weren't going, Oh wow, look what God's doing in my life. You're like, Oh heck I'm caught, you know, it's going to kind of slow me down or whatever. And even at this moment, it wasn't something you were looking for, but God kind of opened your eyes to it. I think that's really, really huge. Um, what happens next? Um, <clears throat> next is I get on fire for recovery. I meet Chelsea, my wife, yep. you know, and she's going through a really dark time in her recovery. And so this is our first date, 
right? Like we go to Waffle House. Uh, Great pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have anything but some drug money. So, uh, all star special. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, I'm still unmanageable. I don't know how to live. My core beliefs are still corrupt. The only thing I've got going is I'm not getting high. It's yeah. the only thing I've done good. That's the only perfect thing I've done since I found recovery and gave my life to God. Sure. And so, uh, Chelsea shares, we go to Waffle House, we eat, we're on the way back, and she shares this dark place that she's been in. And I don't know what made me blurt it out. It could have been the fact that she trusted me and she was hurting and I could see that she was hurting. And so I wanted to share something intimate with her that I wouldn't tell anybody else. I said, well, I've been dealing dope. Mm. And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Plot like, twist. Yeah. I'm like, well, I thought we was sharing bad stuff. <laughs> you know, and she's like, you need to call your sponsor right now. And so I didn't call him when I was working on a fourth step. And so I, I slide it in there. <laughs> I yeah. put it in my fourth step. I jot it down on paper and I give it to him. And of course he, we talk about it, you know? And so, uh, and she tells me immediately, she's like, thank God that you told me that before you got high. You can't do that. Like, when yeah. we'll get high, you will die. You will go back to prison. And that was pretty much the confirmation that I needed because that's what I felt like God was telling me in my room. That's that huge. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, shortly after that, you know, she brought me here to that church. Yeah. And... uh you know, we started coming to church and, and, and it was lukewarm and, you know, God says he hates lukewarm. You bet. And so, um, you know, we're coming here and there and, uh, then we start, you know, coming with point man and it's, it's like everything starts just shaping. Sure. And, you know, I only had nine months clean at this time. Six months of that was in prison. So I only knew how to live one way. Sure. You're trying to break 38 years of behavior patterns and nobody like I'm just living in this Kim free house and I've got a pending drug charge. I think I'm going back to prison by all rights. I should have. And God intervenes. And so I start seeing God working. You bet. Right? Like I've got somebody in my life that I'm, I'm hanging on to who's got longer time in recovery than me telling me, that if you do that stupid stuff, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. And so it really made me step my game up. You bet. And so by the time I've got a year clean, I'm on fire. There's this transition that there's this shift of perception that happens from nine months to one year for me. You bet. Like I get, I, I've made a thorough conscious decision and, and I've accepted the fact that I'm going back to prison for my pending drug charge, You bet. but I've made a decision to go clean. You bet. I don't care that I got to go. I don't want to go high. And so I start the recovery process and um, I'm putting pen to paper and I'm unpacking 38 years of sexual abuse, trauma, physical abuse, neglect, mental abuse, like you name it. You All bet. the fires that I've been touched by, I'm writing about them. And there was something very therapeutic when I was writing about that. And, and I'm sharing it. And later on, I start seeing the biblical principles 
and I'm not going to talk about what program I work. I'm not here to endorse any specific program, but uh, I want to leave things anonymous, right? So um, I'm unpacking. They're telling me I need to go over all this stuff with another person. And then I start seeing the, the biblical principles in what I'm doing. And, and in this culture, it's not really acceptable to bring your faith into it, right? You bet. Like, uh, but I'm seeing that, okay, so step four and five is actually James, the book mm. of James, where God's telling me, confess my sins to another believer, a like-minded person who can pray with me, and, and, and the prayers of an effective person are, are God's moved by, and they're effective. That's right. Know? And so... I'm like, man, I'm just, everything's starting to shape up and I'm starting to see it. And, and so I'm on fire. I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm telling my story. And so because of my music career, which I had at one time thought I was destined, you know, look at the people in the pictures oh, in the yeah. book with me. Like they're, <clears throat> they're the names in the rap rap game today. You betcha. So had I not continued to stick a syringe in my arm, I would be right there with them today. And I wouldn't know the freedom or the love that I have. Wow. Right. Um, But what God was doing was using that creativity and that stage presence and that delivery, all the stuff that I was learning, performing in front of five or 600, 700 people at a time. He was preparing me for this. You bet. He was preparing me to be a public speaker on recovery. He was preparing me to be a preacher. That's right. And so... You know, fears that most normal people have, you know, the number one fear in the world is public speaking. That's right. That's the, right. The, the least feared thing, Scott, is is death. That mm. means you would rather be the person in, in the casket than the guy giving the eulogy. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm in the one place God created for me when I'm on stage. That's good. Good. And you know, you can see it in your life too, Jimmy. And that's one of the things that I love about the book is as you go through it, you you begin to to show what, you know, when this transition begins to take place and God begins to work in your life. And Chelsea has a huge part in that. Oh, and big. in fact, yeah. I'm gonna say so I want to read something that you said about her because I thought I think it's a, a powerful truth because I think there's times where we don't realize when we need to be a Chelsea. We don't realize that somebody around us, if we just gave them that word, could could make such a difference in their life. But yeah. here's what you said. Here's what you said about this. This, this is a great thing about Chelsea. You said, um, she didn't just accept me for who I was. She challenged me to be the person that I was intended to be. Yeah. That's gigantic. Yeah. You know, that's gigantic. Thank God she didn't accept me for who I was. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like- and, and the idea sometimes is that, you know, you're really loving somebody. If you just accept them as they are, that's not loving them. Some the, the most loving thing you can do is go, hey, man, God's got something so much bigger. There's so much more in yeah. store for you. And so I, th- I think that's huge. So you 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 found a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that's one of the things that we're where we've partnered together yeah. with you on yeah. that. And talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, Next Step Recovery Housing, which actually started as Next Step Women. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an underserved. There's a service gap. And there's barriers for women seeking sober living in the state of Arkansas. Sure. And so sober living is not a regulated thing, uh, which means anybody can do it. And so because anybody can do it, there's no standards in place. Sure. And so uh, being that I found my recovery in a sober living, Chelsea and I figured that that's where we need to get back. Oh, that's good. And so, you know, 
I was also, we also worked for other people and there were things we thought we could do better Mm -hmm. because of our lived experience. And so that's what we brought to the table and we found somebody to, you know, give us an opportunity. Uh, And so it wasn't long after that, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were living and learning. Everything was trial and error. Uh, the community came together. They helped us fix these places up. And we've learned a lot. Like we'd get in a place and somebody would snatch it away from us or they would kick us out. And sure. we're just now buying our first house in Clarksville. Uh, but early on, um, you know, within the first, I guess, year and a half, you know, you called me in here and you were like, listen, just tell me what you need. The church wants to help. And so that was the game changer for next step. Wow. You know, so at that point we weren't even paying Chelsea and I a salary, right? Like the rent f- that we were paying for the house was seven fifty a month. Mm-hmm. And so the worst thing that you can do when you're trying to build a nonprofit is not have the funding to sustain it. You bet. And so when the church partnered with us, the one thing we had for sure was rent money. Yeah, right. So the women would never have to lose their house. You bet. And so that put us in a position to where we could focus and build. And so now we have two. We're licensed with uh, the Arkansas De- Department of Corrections, a place I spent a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually have a second hearing on May 12th uh, where my wife will be uh, in El Dorado having a public hearing for the the new women's house. And so God has just moved the life change that have come out of that. The Clarksville house is out in the middle of nowhere. Pastor Scott, there is, uh, eight men there. It's as rural as you can get. You've been there. You've seen it. Oh yeah. Uh, literally sitting on a lake on the middle of a mountain and you're 16 miles from any town and all of them have jobs and get to work on time. All of them are in recovery. Uh, and we're buying that house. That's the the thing that I, I loved about Next Step that I has just I always and just I knew we wanted to be a part of that. The the part that we really loved was that there was just constantly life change coming out of there. Yeah. And the other thing was is that the consistency of the life change is unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, and that's not I'm not here just to to you know I'm we're focusing on the book, but I'm telling you right now, there's something so special about the lives that are being changed, and it's happening over and over again, and in an area where it's hard. Recovery's yeah. hard. Recovery yeah. has a lot of setbacks. Recovery has a, a lot of, you know, um, relapse is a process of recovery, you know, sometimes. And so it's, it's really hard, but to see how, how you guys have been so effective at transforming life, it's just really incredible. I mean, I, it's, it's beyond incredible. It's, I've just never seen anything like that. And yeah. it's really, really, really a great thing. Matter of fact, I remember that trip to Clarksville. Matter of fact, we drove, yeah. we had a lot of, we did a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, we uh, ate some chicken. Yeah. We they, ate had a chicken. good time. <laughs> but then I also remember we were on our way to another place, um, Pottsville. Yeah. <laughs> so that place actually just came up again. Yeah. Uh, you know, we prayed over it. That's and right. That's how you, that's how you got. That's how you got me. That's right. That's, that's how right. you got me. I'll never forget that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Just a car ride. Well, that's what I thought it was. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, I think we're going up there. If you're watching and you don't know, like, I think we're going up there 
uh, for Pastor Scott to, we're going to look at this new property and maybe the church will get behind us and we can open up like a ranch, uh, that church recovery ranch. <laughs> and I've, I've already envisioned it. I'm going to put 18 men in here. Uh, we're going to make it a part of that church. And Scott's <laughs> like, okay, let's go look at it. And then he's asking me, hey, do you want to plant a church and move to Pottsville? And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> I want to move to Pottsville? I don't want to plant a church in Pottsville. <laughs> and the next thing you know, two months later, I'm preaching at Sherwood Church. <laughs> That's right. So moral of the story is don't, don't get, get in, in the, the car, car with Scott. Scott. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. Jimmy, you know, the the other thing that's, I think, astounding about your story, it's also included in the book, is the fact that um, you're a convicted felon. Yeah. There's some things convicted felons do not get to do. Yeah. And, one of, and one of those things would be able to hold a role um, with state government. Yeah. You know, and uh, so talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I can just give you the whole rundown, man. I'm, I'm 18 months clean and I'm speaking at the state capitol. I've been invited. I've been asked uh, to come speak uh, on behalf of recovering people. You bet. And so which was abnormal because that's not the recovery culture that I come from is sharing your recovery publicly. And so but I was so thankful and on fire for what God had given me that I wanted to tell everybody about it. Yeah. And so on a side note, I'm trying to get that way with my salvation. Amen. You know? And so when I compare them, I'm like, no, I got to tell you about Jesus too. That's good. Mm. That's good. And so, but I'm on fire. I'm at the state Capitol and here he comes, except he's not in his, he's not in his cop uniform. Uh, it's Kirk Lane. Yeah. Yeah. And he's done being tapped by the governor, Asa Hutchinson, to be our state drugs are. Yep. Which means that he is no longer. And so since he, he had left Pulaski County and took a job as the chief of police for Saline County. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's there and the governor asked him to come be the drugs are for the state of Arkansas. And here he comes. He's walking up. He's got a suit and tie. He's all political at this point. Looking, he's, he hates polit. He hates political stuff. So he's not politically like he's a person of faith, but he's a person of accountability. You yeah. know what I mean? And so he's walking up, and I can tell that uh, God's word didn't return void. Like all things are made new. You bet. And so, and all things are possible. That's right. And so. Here I am, somebody that he's arrested a number of times. I remember sitting in prison and somebody saying, man, Jimmy, what happened? Why are you back, bro? Kirk Lane. <laughs> he had Kirk your, Lane. Had Always your blaming had people. Had your number. That's so good. Go ahead. Yeah, and never mind the fact that I'd been arrested for whatever I did. It was Kirk Lane's fault <laughs> of course. that I was yeah. in prison. Yeah. And so um, he doesn't recognize me. And I shake his hand. Like I'm confident. I'm I'm not ashamed of the, the past. I'm ashamed of the the people I hurt. They didn't deserve that. You bet. But I spend every day of my life trying to rectify my actions. You bet. I spend every day uh as a living amends to both God and society. Mm. You know. I know an amends is not saying I'm sorry. It's about taking that wrong and making it right. It's good. And I live that out every day. Uh it's not like a bad old bad Chinese movie. Right, right. Like my mouth and my actions sync up. That's good. I'm not out of line. And so uh 
you know, he walks up and I shake his hand. I said, man, it's good to see you. He has no clue who I am. Yeah. And so this event probably would have only been a handful of people because it was the director of the FBI. (laughs) Special. I hope I did anything come out my nose. Right <laughs> yeah. So I hope not. I hope you're not. No, you're good. To you're good. Like you wouldn't tell me because we're on the air. I t- no, I tell you. Um, so good friends will tell you when you got a boogie. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So uh, it's the special agent in charge for the FBI for Arkansas. Um, it's the head of the DEA for Arkansas. It's Kirk Lane. And it's a couple of other, you know, state officials and then me. Yeah. Like I'm I'm working at Exodus.life at that, that point in my life as the recovery coordinator for them. And so Chelsea and I are out there. Uh, we're shaking hands. We're in our Exodus shirts. And uh, I'm the last speaker. So the FBI speaks, DEA speaks, and Kirk Lane speaks. Now they're shocked because this is a big event. Like, they're used to the state people coming out, which would have been 15 or 20 people. I got 200 people in recovery out there on the, <laughs> That's on, the, on the Capitol steps, and it's raining. And so the guy that gives me the invitation, uh, Kirk Lane standing there, he's like, Jimmy, do we still do this in the rain? I said, hold on, man. We chase dope in the rain. <laughs> We're going to recover in the rain. That's good. And so they all speak. And so the guy introduces me. And when he introduces me, the crowd goes nuts. I mean, the entire steps of the Capitol just erupt. But it wasn't because it was me speaking, but it was because one of their own was speaking. That's right. That's like it, it wasn't about Jimmy being at the podium. I was not the big deal. The big deal was somebody from recovery had suddenly been given a voice to yeah. represent so that we had representation at the state capitol. Yeah. And so that's what the big deal was. And so I get up there and I'm like, I'm going to get him. <laughs> I'm going to roast him. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, they're like, you know, it's raining and, you know, there were, we're going to recover in the rain. And so within the first 30 seconds, I'm talking about Kirk Lane. (laughs) I'm like, this guy over here, listen, there was three things that I used to like to do. Get dope, use dope, and hide from Kirk Lane. And everybody's (laughs) laughing. (laughs) And he looks up. His head is like he got whipped like... (laughs) (laughs) He looks up, and he's turning around, and all the FBI, they're laughing. He, he, he. And I'm like, you know, and I start talking, and it it hits him right in the face. Who it is. In that moment, he realized He didn't know before. No. No, that's great. The the change that God had done in Jimmy was so transformative that the man who had put me in prison no longer recognized me. Wow. You know? And so he comes up, he shakes my hand, he hugs me. I tell him, thank you. Wow. And that's something that he never heard before, really. I bet. But something magical happened that night. Somebody who had tried to arrest their way out of the problem of addiction suddenly had a shift in their perception. God had allowed me to be a change agent that night. That's good. And so I changed his core beliefs mm-hmm. that once an, once an addict, always an addict, you know. Uh, and so shortly after that, he invited me to lunch. So we go to lunch and he says, hey, we're going all over Arkansas to speak to these colleges. We want you to go. And so here I am traveling with the FBI, the DEA, and the drugs are. 
on parole. Not in the back seat. I, no, no. <laughs> and and most of his career, I was with him. I, I I tell people when I speak all the time. Listen, I've been following Kirk Lang's career since he was a, a patrolman. <laughs> I just did it from the back seat of the cop. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and uh, man, it was so great, Pastor Scott. Like. We're going all over. We're sharing it and we're sharing hope. It's like a happy story of cops and robbers. Yeah. And then he calls me one day and he says, Hey, I've got a position opening up and I know we're going to have to fight for it. Mm. But if you're willing to maybe leave what you've got and, and keep in mind, I'm working my first, first real job through a Christian organization, Exodus. I love that. I love it. I love the life change that came out of it. Uh, society wouldn't give me a job. You I did. tried and tried and tried, but my history stopped me from being able sure. to work. And so when the community said that I wasn't good enough, God said you are. And so, you know, the biggest funder for Exodus is, is uh, Fellowship Baptist Church, you or bet. Bible Church. Yep. And so uh, I, they hired me. They hired me full time. And so... I'm doing the only thing I could do. I was working with inmates coming out of prison and teaching them about recovery. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And so, you know, it's a fight. Like we get shot down at every corner and basically Kirk Lane has to walk in the governor's office and say, this is who I want. I know it's not the status quo, but you've hired me to do a job, and this is who we need to lead this. So, so the guy that spent a big portion of his career chasing and arresting and trying to get you and getting you put in prison. Yeah, he was a beast. He was it, good at his job. Is the same guy now Fighting that's, that's standing before his boss, vouching for you and saying, "Hey, this is who I want." How, how many how many felons had ever worked for the state in that kind of position? You know, none. Uh, I was there. There, there have been felons who've worked on stuff for state leadership. Sure, sure. But mine was an authoritative position at the Department of Human Services, and so it's against DHS policy to have a criminal history. Wow. And so we we're at this point we're changing policies, and then we have to change state law. Yeah. You know, and so we, you know. At that time, I was going through church leadership school here. Remember <laughs> I, I told do. you about yeah, it? Yeah, I sure and do. And so I'm like, you know, we're changing state law. And so House Bill 1433 allowed people with nonviolent criminal histories uh, to work for state agencies in the role of peer support. And so, and, and we signed it into law, Act 951. And I was there behind the governor standing with him when he signed that law. And so at that point, there was nothing anybody could say like, um, but I can trace it back. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 is the most pertinent boy verse to my physical life, right? Like 25 years ago, God used Kirk Lane. He arrests me. He puts me in prison. A, a, a relationship is built, not a bad, not a good one, you know, Yeah. but an introduction relationship. And so 25 years later, when God's done molding me and putting me through the things he had to put me through to shape me and get me ready for the work that he would, I'm just now about my father's business. That's good. You know, 44, my life is just now starting. And so, uh, you know, when the Bible talks about honoring, you know, the sermon you just did about honoring our father, you know, I guarantee you I'm leaving my name better, better. than I've received you it. You betcha. And so you betcha. Uh, hopefully God lets me have another 40 years to do this work. You know? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so 
and and yeah, and Kirk is hands down my biggest advocate. You know, he's put me in a. I, I manage right now millions of dollars in grants for the state of Arkansas. Me, yeah. Uh, I decide where the funding goes. I decide, and I evaluate it. I implement it. I lead board meetings. I chair board meetings. I, I sit on a number of national consortiums. I sat on a number of national committees and advocacy groups. Arkansas is now the national leader for recovery models. <laughs> you know, our football team wasn't going to get us in the spotlight. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and it's crazy. And so it's like God, I feel like God's, you know, here I am with seven, 18 felony convictions. I've always said 17, but during this check for my pardon, we found another one. So just hidden. He's just laying them back. Yeah, like an old sleeper. You know? <laughs> and so I feel like God's like, I'll use this to do this. Yeah. You know, that's how great he is. Like, and so I'm in the room with all these people with PhDs, like doctoring degrees. Yeah. And, and people are like, well, Jimmy, when are you going to go back to school and get a degree? Well, I don't have time. I keep finding myself in positions to supervise people that do. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I'm just saying, God will use a jackass to show a smart ass they don't know anything. That's, that's what he's done. He's taking the worst case scenario. And I may, painted a masterpiece. I may, I may just have hurt myself. I think I strained something. You okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're literally crying. Listen, you, I'm telling you, you right now. You can't now. just throw something no, out there like that no, and that not is, expect that a reaction. Is, that is perfect. Oh, my gosh, I'm dying. That is hilarious. Do I have tears? You do, literally, yeah. physically. Yeah. You brought me to it. That was great. And you're right. You're exactly right. The thing that the thing that I love about, about your book is... I think for everybody, mm -hmm. you know, I think about a, a little boy in Gravel Ridge that starts out holding his dad's arm so he can shoot dope. Yeah. Um, that start seldom finishes well. You know what I mean? Just It just doesn't happen. You don't finish well from that. But, Jimmy, you did, and you did it because God was at work and yeah. God intervened. And I think that that's so important because I think for a lot of people, we may not have the exact same history or story but your story is one of those stories that we can look at and go, but God did it there. He can do it here. You know, he yeah. did it in Jimmy. He can do it in me. And, you know, and I, the, the height of which God has brought you to, and, and I, I know for sure he's not finished with this story, but, but the height that he's brought you to is it's an inspiration. I think it's powerful. I think it's powerful to us. I think we all need to see it because there's just something about seeing God at work. And, and I'm going to say this again, you need to get this book. If you, if you want to experience some encouragement, man, you need to get this book. It's, it's more than, um, I think it's more than you, um, just having something to read for entertainment, although some of it is very entertaining. That's why I'm in tears right now. There's just yeah. Jimmy is Jimmy's Jimmy. You, you're one of them people that I just go, you crack me up. But your story is one that's undeniable. The work of God in your life is undeniable. And, and you know, I, I'm convinced that that's the desire of his heart for all of us, you know. He wants to bring us um, out. He's a redeemer. You know, he, he changes us and he brings us out. And so I, I it's just great, man. Absolutely great. I today's been a real joy, you know, and yeah, to think, think not only that you're, that you now, you know, work for the state, you're a pastor at that church, at that church, the same yeah. church. My wife brought me to five years ago. I mean, is that not incredible though? Yeah. It's uh, I didn't see that one coming at all. <laughs> right. right. 
right? Like, and it's it's cool though, uh, because I'm the same way I rebuilt my identity six years ago. I'm doing it again. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I built my identity in recovery, mm-hmm. and I should have built it in Jesus. Mm. And so I'm learning to reshape things, and uh, you know, and and that's you're a lot to do with that, Scott. Like, honestly, you are my shepherd. Like, I don't say that for any other reason than the truth, because, you know, had it not been for sermons that you've taught, like the creator or the creation or the gift Mm. or the giver, which one gets the glory, you know, that's, that's, that's when the shift in my mindset happens. Yeah. You know, because I had given the gift recovery so much glory instead of giving it to the giver of the gift. No, it's Mm. good. And I don't want to do that anymore. That's good. You know? That's good. That'll preach. That, that's good. And I appreciate that too. That's so encouraging. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you for uh, taking a risk on me uh, because I know it and, and I see it. And uh, I'm just glad to be a part of the church. And I'm glad, glad you're here. here. I'm glad you're here. And God's got plenty of work left for us to do. You know it? Yeah. yeah. Plenty of work left for us to do. Well, you know, I hate to say it, but we're 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 out of time today, and and um, we're going to talk some more. But yeah, Jimmy, you you Jimmy will be speaking at that church. You can catch him online if you're not close to us, but if you're anywhere in the vicinity of Sherwood, Central Arkansas, um, he's going to be speaking on June the sixth. Yeah, um, he'll be speaking that Sunday. All three services. Um, he's going to be speaking all the time at different times here in Sherwood. But but you can catch him online June the sixth. It'll be a live feed. Um, you can catch it on a, the that church online. Um, on Facebook. We also stream it to YouTube. And uh, if you want to catch him there, you get a chance to hear him speak um, and and preach a message. I mean, it's it's inspirational, incredible. He's just a great, great communicator and, and what a great story. Your book is amazing. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say it again. You need to you need to copy this. You need to read it. You really do. It's um, it's a great book, y'all. It's a great book and a great story and just a testimony to the to the goodness of God. Let me say this before we before we pile off of here. <clears throat> Jimmy's story is incredible, but it's the story that God wants to tell in all of us. You know, God's wanting to do a work in us. That's how much He loves us. You know, even when we're in the middle of our mess and and even when we're we find ourselves you know far from where we need to be. Um, God brings hope. Um, Jimmy's story is a story of hope. It's a story of God restoring. It's a story of not only God restoring. Jimmy's not just restored. The thing I love about your story is that is that you are a restorer now, you know, um, and that's what God does in us. And so it's just an amazing thing. So for those of you who find yourself maybe struggling with hope or maybe you're struggling with anxiety or fear or, or you've got some obstacles in the way and you go, how in the world can this, you know, be, be good or whatever? How can I ever get out of this? Well, you, you can. And here's what I'll say. If you want us to pray for you, if you there, if we can help you, if we can give you counsel, if we can do anything for you, stand with you as a church, um, leave us a comment, reach out to us. We would absolutely love to, to, to host that conversation. We're, we're grateful to be able to do that. But I want to say this to you. Know this, we believe in you because God believes in you. We're going to be praying for you. And you know what? This isn't the end of your story. Whatever you're facing right now is not the end of your story. God's got way more planned for that for you. And, uh, and I pray that you get a chance to see that. And I pray you walk into that with confidence. So until our next time, I just want to say, uh, we'll see you later and may God bless you and everything that he gives you to do.